I just want to um, introduce to you our speaker today, and most of you here uh, know Pastor Simon. He's here with also with his wife Sharon, and uh, we welcome you both. Oh, and Curly also uh, from Compassion, and uh, they are good friends to Hills Church and have been for a long time. Although, and including times when when um, Pastor Simon was a, a, a local pastor here in Arana Hills at the Church of Christ down the road, and uh, and you know I've. He's not only good friends with his church, we are very close friends and uh, have always appreciated the um, encouragement and the blessing that Simon has been to me and to, I know, to many others as well. And so uh, that's, that was my introduction because uh, I really want you to make him feel welcome. So would you put your hands together as he, as he comes now? So... Always feels like coming home here, but even even more so. I've been getting regular updates about your building because two of my sons are carpenters and they've been working on your building. So, I've been uh, getting updates, and um, you know, one of my sons saying, "I've just been, um, oh, what's the ceiling? Like he's had 25 tubes of sealant. He's done there. So he had a great day doing that. Um, so, um, but you know." I haven't seen, I've seen the building of your outside, not seen the inside yet. But what I love about your church is that you're investing in this for your kids and youth. That's fantastic. Like, absolutely fantastic. And what you've done in a building there is, is also what we're about in Compassion, is about how can we invest in children, a long-term, um, a long-term way to help them to, um, to know Jesus, to help them to be able to get a great job, to, to help them to... Um, be established. I like that word, by the way. I'm feeling, you know, I've known Nathan for a long time, so I'm not old. I'm established. <laughs> um, so that's uh, a new word. I can use that interchangeably with mature or something, but I'm not sure that always works with me because I, I have a, I'm, I'm young at heart so much. Um, so it's really great to be with you to just give you a bit of an update about compassion. Um, also, just want to introduce to Kiralee. Could you stand up for a sec? I've got her texting at the moment. She's just putting a message online. So it's. Um, Okay, thank you. Kiralee started with Compassion about three weeks ago, so she's working with me on a lot of the, the admin background side of things. So when you sponsor a child, it's really uh, her that does all of the background. She lives locally, and, and this is her... Um, I said, oh, come, come, to, come to a great church. So she's looking for a church, is a hint. There, all right, so uh, make her feel really welcome. <laughs> um, all right, Compassion. We are, um, we're about this, if you don't know much about us. Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. If you want a bit of a landmark, we started in South Korea the year the Queen, who's just passed away, was coronated. So um, 70 years. There we go. And uh, it, compassion started because a child stole a coat. I don't think I've ever told you that story. I'm going to briefly outline that. And what basically what happened was there was a, an evangelist from the US who was visiting what was then just sort of the toward the end of the Korean War. And he was there to encourage the troops from the US. And he was going to, to encourage them and, and um, help them with all the trauma and everything that they, was, they were kind of seeing. And, and it was toward the end of his trip. And on the last day, toward the last day, he was walking down the street and he had his coat over his arm. And as he walked down the street, just looking at kind of war-torn buildings, bullet holes everywhere, just the place, a, a mess, war-torn area, he felt his coat move from his arm and a child ran past him and stole his coat. 
Now, I don't know what your reaction would be if, you, if that was you and what happened. I know what mine would be, and it was the, the, the same, um, where he just gave chase. He thought, yeah, Tyke, you stole my coat. So he, he goes off, but he's kind of taken off guard to he's a bit behind. So the child's ahead, and then the child ducks around a corner. He gets puffing and panting, gets to the corner, turns around. No child, no coat. And they go, oh, where did they go? So he walks down the street, just kind of looking, poking about, and there in, a, in, a, in an abandoned, disused, tumble-down shop doorway, he sees his coat just dumped on the floor. Think, ah, there it is. And he goes down and he picks it up. And underneath is a, is a very small, malnourished child. Totally takes him off guard. Totally takes him by surprise. He's got that mix of emotions from you know, a thief to now, now there's this child under, under the coat. And he, he didn't quite know what to do. And, and then he knows another pile of rags in the corner and he moved that pile of rags and another child. So then when he came to, to realise there was a truck, a wagon that would go around every morning really, really early, just at first light. And the job of the men with that wagon was to pick up the bodies of the children who died overnight. They were war orphans. Parents had been killed and they were on the street on their own. And that day compassion was born. There was a phrase that Evangelist was called Everett Swanson, and there was a phrase that, that went into his mind when he looked at that child under his coat, and it was this, what are you going to do? He left his coat there, by the way. So a couple of days later, or a few days later, he's, he's on the plane. If you can imagine then, this is a no, 1952, so a turboprop plane going from South Korea back to the US, and he said the engines on that plane said that phrase, what are you going to do? So you can kind of imagine that. All the way back, hours and hours of what are you going to do, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, what are you going to do. So when he got back to the States, he, he had to do something that was just so firmly implanted into his mind. And, and he decided, right, what can we do to raise some money? He had two lots of people that came to him, not even before he even talked about it, said, I just feel convicted, I've got to give you some money. And they gave him $1,000, a lot of money then. Not knowing what had happened to him, not knowing. So that happened twice. And 35 children got sponsored. That was how it started. Now, currently, we're just over 2.1 million children um, being registered and sponsored within Compassion, now in 25 different countries around the world. And do you know what the great story is? South Korea is now a sponsoring nation. Isn't that fantastic? Absolutely, I love that. And the exciting thing is, I want to say, as a, so as a church community here, you sponsor most of the kids you sponsor in Thailand. And that's the same as at Arana, same at uh, Kapera Baptist, and the same at Anogra Baptist. We're all in this, this partnership, sponsoring the same regions together. That Thailand is going to be the next nation to turn around. So we've got less children available. Um, it's going to be harder to get children from Thailand, which is, isn't a great problem to have. Absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. I would love to clear that board. So if you can go on to the next slide. So, uh, oh, well, sorry, one, one back. That one. So 71 children currently being sponsored by your church family here. And I know that compassion is not your main mission focus, so that's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you for what you're what you're doing. So um, there's an opportunity there to, to sponsor, whether you're on to on, online, there'll be a digital link you can click on, or after the service here to make a difference. And to help Thailand kind of do sponsorship well, so 
what Thailand, Compassion Thailand wanted to do is push over the borders into neighbouring countries and to plant in those nations. How cool is that? So don't give up on Thailand because what they're doing is saying we recognise things are, are gradually getting better. There's still a lot of poverty there, by the way, but, um, but there, there, things are improved from where it has been. But what a great opportunity to, to see the next country happen. So I'm really, really excited about that. Okay, on the next slide just is, is just how we work. So we talk, call it three C's if that helps you to remember things. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're all about Jesus. Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. We just believe passionately the best way to see children helped out of poverty is introduce them to the Saviour, to Jesus. So we're unashamedly Christian. Um, every child that um, gets sponsored, they get a Bible. They, they not only get to hear about Jesus, but they get to see him in action. By people who come to their home from the local church and visit them and show love to them and show compassion to them so their family get to know. We used to publish figures of how many kids would come to faith every year. It was great for people like me in my role because I could go and say, this number of, of, um, this number of children this year put their hand up and said, I want to follow Jesus. And for every child that said that, we, we um, had a statistic that, that said on average four family members would follow. So it's, it's phenomenal of people coming to faith, phenomenal evangelism that happens. But we don't do that figure anymore. And actually, I love the reason why. It's that we don't want to count hands up. We somehow want to count transformed lives. And I know as a church here, you're passionate about discipleship. And, um, and, and we are too. So I'm glad that that statistic, we don't do that anymore. But, but we're about the same thing. And so kids get to see Jesus in action by people just loving them in their homes and particularly through COVID, that's what's happened. Because our programs haven't been able to run for obvious reasons. But instead, the staff workers and the caregivers and the mentors have been going to people's homes to visit them and see them there. So we're, we're, we're Christ-centered, all about, um, all about Jesus. We're also church-based. So the programs that we run, it's, it's like what you are doing as a church. So if you go and visit, and Nathan's been, he's seen this, that, that you won't see a big sign saying compassion. You just see a sign saying Hills Church or whatever the name of that local church is because we're all about the local church. So when you sponsor a child, you're investing in the local church, helping them reach out to the poorest people in their local area. And being a, having been a pastor for many years, that's another thing I loved about Compassion, that you are helping the local church to do what it does, to reach out, love on people, introduce them to Jesus and love them physically, love them emotionally and love them spiritually right across the board. So we're, everything we do is in and through the local church. I love that. And then finally, we're child-focused. Now, if we want to see happen, what, what's happened in South Korea, if we want to see that happen in other nations, we, we just passionately believe we can start with children, long-term child development, invest in, in them while they're in the womb and help mum. And help her have a great start with a good pregnancy. How can we, we help her to um, get support through those early years of child rearing? And then as the child goes to school, all the way through to help them get a really great education. To help their mindset change if they've grown up in poverty. So for many children, if, if all they've seen is poverty around them, that their parents in poverty, their grandparents in poverty, it's really hard to dream big. Really hard to dream big. So I'm going to show you a video clip about what that's about. And um, as I speak, we've got a team of 20 to 24 cyclists cycling from um, WA coast to Newcastle. 
It's a long way. It's going to take them a while. They took it so far, they have raised over $650,000 for Compassion. And uh, every, every morning before they ride, they ride something like 120, 150 kilometers a day is kind of what they're, what they're doing. And, and it's interesting, they get fitter as they go. If you could Im imagine, so, um, uh, so the clothes that they bought at the beginning <laughs> don't fit so well at the end, you know. So um, anyway, they're, so they're on their way. But every morning as they start, they, they share a child's story. And I want to show you a video of, of one of these. And the lady who's sharing the story, her name's Nellie. She's from Queensland. So there's, she's one of the Queensland riders doing this trip. And um, I've mentioned about it's hard to dream big. Let's go to the screen. Let's have a look at this uh, video as Nellie reads this child's story. Here we go. Today's child's story is about Salama from Kenya. So growing up in Kenya, opportunities for Salama and her family were limited. Salama's father had been trying to find work for years to no avail, so the responsibility to provide for the family fell to Salama's mother, Kadzo. Kadzo spent every day breaking rocks, earning about four US dollars a month. The family of 14 slept together in one room on the floor, often without eating anything throughout the day. If I don't work even for one day, the children will have no food, so I must work says Kadzo. Kadzo and her husband saw this way of life as their only option until their eldest daughter was registered at the local Compassion Child Development Centre. Suddenly they had hope for a new future. I am so proud of Salama, says Kadzo. She is my pride and joy. When Salama began attending school, she saw little life for herself outside of breaking rocks. She would tell her tutors that she wanted to be like her mother and break rocks every day. After some encouragement from tutors to dream bigger, Salama now says she wants to be a teacher. I now see good things coming in my future, says Salama. So it is for Salama and others like her that today, today we, we ride. ride. Amen to that. Thank you. It's powerful, isn't it? And it, I've seen that several times and it still makes me cry. Because for children like Salama, they can't dream big because they can't see beyond what they can see around them. And that's why I love what compassion does. It helps a child to dream, to say, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a mechanic, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse. And one of the children that my wife and I have sponsored has become a nurse. And uh, she texted me, it was only a few months ago, I was just before a church service actually, and I got a, a message from her on Facebook. And she said, I just want to, I just want to say I've been sitting today just thinking about my life as it is now and she said it would be so different if you and your wife hadn't sponsored me thank you for saving my life <laughs> that's the opportunity um, that's there on the next slide is um, is a, a number that's um, the number of letters that have been sent to and from you as a church family to your sponsor kids over the last 12 months, 192 letters. That's, that's great, isn't it? But if you look at the ones below, this is where you'll start to feel guilty and look at the floor. Because <laughs> um, 56 sent by you guys and 136 sent by the children. Now, I feel like I'm among friends here. I'm going to be really real. That's actually below average. Now, generally speaking, the average is half. 
So the kids write twice as many letters as the sponsors. So you, it's not good. But I want to just real briefly tell you why I think that is, why I think that this number is always this way around. It's because in our nation we think the answer to poverty is money because everything in our culture says it's, it's kind of wealth and stuff. It's, it's, we're bombarded with it and it's part of our culture, it's become part of our DNA, whether we like it or not, because all the advertising, it's all we see around us, it's what, what it's about. And yet we are a very lonely nation. We have a lot of acquaintances, but we don't have many really, really close friends, particularly blokes. Most blokes don't have many blokes they can really share their heart with. It just doesn't happen. And you wonder why our suicide rate is so high, particularly amongst young men. And it's because if you're in poverty, you can't survive just on money. You can only survive if you have relationship. So if you go and visit, often visit your child or your, your family, they'll often say as you go, please don't forget us. I've heard that phrase so many times. And that's why we don't realise how important and powerful writing a letter is. Some of you have met Newt. She's a, a former sponsored uh, girl from Thailand. She's spoken here and I was, she's actually um, just finishing off three years of Bible college in New Zealand. And uh, she's going to be visiting again in, um, early next year on her way back to Thailand. And when she came, she spoke about the fact that when she was sponsored a child, she never got a letter. Never got a letter until she got to university. And, she, and I said, what was that like? And she said, she said to me, when the other children got letters, I would just try and be quiet and I'd look down and then I'd go away and cry, thinking, did my sponsor not love me? And I don't want to make you feel guilty for not writing, but if it helps. <laughs> um, look, but I know guilt doesn't work. It won't work in the long term. But if, you can help, if it can help to think of it in the way that... that we, have, we really have no idea how important relationship is for children in poverty, particularly relationship with someone in a country that's going well. So I just can't stress enough. Please write. So why not do that today? We've got letter writing stuff here. So if you want to write a letter, we'll do everything for you except write it. Okay, I've got templates for letters to get you started. You can write by, by hand. We've even got a... Um, Polaroid camera, take a photo for you, and we'll mail it for you. All you've got to do is write it, and maybe over a cup of coffee. If you haven't written online, writing online is so easy. I write all my letters on my phone. Works like an app. It's just so simple. And if, if you already sponsoring, you've never done that, I've got some cheat sheets there of just how you do that. Step it through as a process. Grab one of those, grab a coffee, write a letter, and let's see if we can change that statistic. Does that make sense? Yep. I, don't, I really don't think guilt works, so let's, um, let's not do that. All right, God's word. Let's, um, let me pray. Father, thank you for the 70-plus children being sponsored by this church family. just want to pray that something would shift in our hearts to build a relationship and not just give money. Lord, we thank you that money makes, it, makes a difference for those kids. It helps them get education. It, it is helping them to have good health and all of those things, Father. And we're great. I'm so grateful. And I say thank you, Father, for the generosity of this church. But I pray that somehow through this year, there'd be just nudges by your spirit to write 
And, and th those letters would become a real amazing two-way street of encouragement, both directions. And I pray as we just jump into your word, Father, would you speak to us? May, this, may what I say be memorable, that it would stick in a way that our lives change for the better, that our lives would be seen to be more like Jesus. Whether we're at home, at work, at the shops, or here in this building, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just talk about one word today. I've preached this message a lot of times, and I do that unashamedly, because I'm in a Wesleyan Methodist church, and Wesley himself said, a good message is not a good message till it's been preached at least 25 times. And um, I don't do that because I haven't come up with a new message. I come up because this message is so much part of me, and it was a passion to share this with you this morning. It's um, part of me and my life and how I operate, and my wife very similar um, as well. So one word I want to give you. We're bombarded with information. We've had a lot of words already this morning, but can you remember one word? Like if I said to you next week, three points, can you remember them? No chance. For most of you, no chance. But I want to talk today about interruptions. Interruptions. They happen to all of us. They happen all the time. I guarantee you'll be interrupted this week. If you're a parent, multiple times. <laughs> Often in the night, you know. Um, just interruptions, they're all around us. And uh, there's this passage in, in Mark's Gospel. And... Um, I'm going to jump into this passage and then comment as we go through. We're jumping into it. Already interruptions has happened. Jesus has been across the lake. He's been met by a man possessed by many demons called Legion. Um, so um, that was an interruption as Jesus gets out of the boat. There's this guy running at them um, who's, who's probably not the best guy to be around and probably a scary kind of guy that most people would, you know, he lived, he lived in the cemetery, you know. Chains couldn't even hold him, you know. So he's not someone you'd kind of, oh, great, let's go see Legion today. I don't think that happened, you know. So Jesus gets interrupted. He, he frees this man from these demons, and the demons interrupt pigs. They're just eating, you know, like get mind in their own business, just eating for the day, not knowing they're getting fattened for things. But anyway, they're, they're just eating, and the demons rush into the pigs, and they all rush over the, the cliffside and drown in the sea. Talk about interruption to a peaceful pig's life. You know, Jesus interrupted that village area so much so, they said to him, please leave. Go away. The only person that wanted to go with him was Legion, interestingly. So Jesus gets in the boat, goes back to the other side, and this is where we pick up the story. Immediately, uh, can we go, I think we've come, jump one slide ahead. Here we go. Yeah. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Interruption one. I don't know what business as usual was going to be for Jesus that day, but I don't think it was kind of this. You know, he hadn't planned this out. Maybe they're going for a breakfast or a coffee together or something. But anyway, here's a huge crowd that gathers. And just then, a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, Please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death. She's only 12 years old. Come lay your hands on her, heal her, and she will live. 
interruption by a crowd and then Jairus. I get lots of interruptions as part of my job. Nathan will get lots of interruptions as a pastor. It's what happens. I used to have to plan for interruptions in, in my week. And I worked out that I had, on average, two days of interruptions per week as a pastor. That was how I worked my diary out because that's um, my, my main gifting is pastoral, so that's probably why that figure was so high. But that's how I had to work. And I was, um, I was going up to Townsville to speak at a church there with compassion, and I'm on my way there, and I stopped for fuel. And I go into this uh, servo, and there was, uh, filled up, there was this unusually long queue. Like, there was a lot of people in front of me. And, and, um, and as I kind of look ahead at the guy behind the, the desk, he was obviously stressed. You know when you just see it on someone's body language? He was kind of rushing around and... And I felt for him, I, I used to be a mechanic and, and I, to earn a little extra money, I used to work at a servo. And in those days, I was just showing how established I am, I um, uh, used, to, used to go out to the vehicles and you, you'd serve the fuel. Some of you remember those days. And um, so I did a lot of walking to and fro. And so I'm watching this guy and I'm thinking, man, actually, if you work at a servo now, you have to do a whole lot more than I used to. Because we just sold a few lollies, oil, in a few bits and pieces for cars, that was just minimal stuff, and fuel, that was it. Whereas now, if you work at a server, you have to be a barista, so you have to do coffees, you, you know, have to do chips, you have to be a chef, you've got to look after a whole shop, so you're really working at, a, at like a grocery store, and, and you're doing the fuel. And I thought, man, these guys work hard compared to what, I was just, I was just out for a walk, really. <laughs> so I'm watching this guy, and he's just stressed. Like, everything on his demeanour is saying that. So eventually I get to the desk, and I'm just about to give my pump number, and this lady skips the queue, comes up beside and says, oh, excuse me interrupting, here we go. She said this to the guy, um, I can't get my petrol flap open, can you help? And, and everything about this guy, his everything changed from just being stressed, his, his shoulders came over, his head went down, he just shrunk, like saying, this is the last straw, I, I, I can't do another thing, I'm done. That's what his body language said to me. So I, I interrupted. I said, excuse me for interrupting. Look, I used to be a mechanic. Would, you, would it be helpful if I helped this lady out? I'll join the back of the queue again. It's fine. You serve the next person. And he just said, oh, thank you so much. I guess. He's holding me in a change. He got a bit of a smile. And so I went out and a few minutes later, I got this lady sorted out. She starts filling her car. And time I come back in, queue's gone. And I'm walking up to see him and he sees me. His face lights up. And as I get close, he just falls on his knees. And he says, can you help me find Jesus? No, he didn't really. <laughs> Isn't it what we want to happen though? You know, it's kind of in my dream and I always get this reaction. So, <laughs> you know, having a Jesus and, and, and you have made, that may have happened to you. It's happened to my son, actually. It's happened to my son. Someone's, that's happened to him. But you know, all I know is for that man, my longing is for him to come to know Jesus. Absolutely. But he came up and he just thanked me. He just said, thank you so much for helping me. And I said, um, I said you're obviously not having the best day. What's going on? And he just said to me, oh, I said, there's usually at least two, if not three of us on staff. And one's on holiday and the other guy, the, sh the chef, he phoned in sick this morning and we couldn't get anyone else. So he was there on his own. And I just like to think that when he got home to his wife that night, or his partner, or whoever he lives with, when he got home and, and they said to him, oh, oh, darling, how was your day? 
I like to think that he probably said, oh, you wouldn't believe it, the, 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 chef, the chef phoned in sick, it was terrible, it was like the, the day from hell, really, it was awful. But there was this guy, and um, it was just at the point where I couldn't take any more, and I was just about to say, right, I'm done, and, and he, helped this, he helped this lady out, and he came back and he spoke to me and encouraged me, and, and it helped me keep going. I just like to think he might have said that. See, because interruptions can go two ways. We can be interrupted and get grumpy, or we can interrupt and encourage. And Jesus did both. He was often interrupted, but also he interrupted. And I think we need to look at maybe changing the word from interruptions to opportunities. Let's, uh, let's pick up the story again. Immediately, Jesus went with him. I love that. Immediately. There wasn't, oh, let me just think about, what's my schedule? Can I fit him in? You know, immediately, Jesus went with him, and the huge crowd followed. Can you get that? So here's, this, here's the ambulance, really. This is Jesus, the ambulance. Here's the, the red light, woo, 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 and he's, he's on his way to get to this place quickly because the daughter's dying, and the crowd's go, oh, can we come? <laughs> just get that, that image behind you. Here's this huge tag-along. Bit of an interruption, bit of an inconvenience when you've got a big crowd and you're trying to get somewhere quickly. So Jesus went with him and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. So that's not going to be an easy walk. Like, you know, just, you're trying to, well, that's how I visualize it. They're pushing around him, trying to walk, trying to get there in a hurry. Now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she got worse instead of better. And when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could touch even his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it. For she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, how did he know? I'm going to jump back to this in a second. I love this. The, I've, I've chosen this translation. It's more of a paraphrase, really, the, the Passion Translation, because I love it the way that he describes this. For he felt the, felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. Jesus so aware, physically, what was going on. So aware, physically. How aware are we? You know, we can wear body language, maybe, you know, some people are great at reading the room. You know, you can pick up things. Other people's not so good at that. <laughs> he turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, Who touched my clothes? His disciple answered, What do you mean? Who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd looking for the one who had touched him for healing. I love that. I want to just stop there for a sec. Let's just, what was that like? Like, try and think Jesus for a moment, all right? You're walking along and you feel a touch that's different to the crowd. Now, the closest I can come to that, which might help you in your kind of thinking of what that's like, was um, I'd finished up at Arana as pastor there, and then the new pastor, Clinton, had, had come. And I'd met him a couple of times for coffee, but I'd never met his wife and family. And uh, we were standing out in the foyer. It was my first Sunday there. 
um, my first Sunday back, so I'm away a lot with compassion. And um, Clinton introduced his wife to me, Melise, and their girls. And I was just standing in the foyer area. And because I hadn't been around for a while, I had a lot of people coming and saying, how are you, how things going? And we're chatting. I didn't pretty much move from there. And Clinton went off and, and his wife went off and they went and did what else they're doing. And then as I was talking with someone, I was just standing like this talking with someone and I felt or I sensed someone come up beside me. I didn't kind of see who they were, but someone came beside me and they put their, hat, their arm around me and just rested it onto my shoulder here. But it felt different. Now, to give a little clue about what's coming here, Clinton and I were wearing very similar colour shirts. And it felt so odd to the point that I quickly turned it around to see who had touched me and my eyes met his wife's, <laughs> Melise, who was equally shocked to see my face. <laughs> and her was, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were my husband, was her response. Now, if you say to me, describe that touch, I can't do that. It wasn't untoward. There was nothing kind of dodgy or sexual or anything like that about it. All I can say was, it, it, it was the touch of a wife to a husband, not a friend. Does that make sense? So it, it kind of made me think, you know, we, we actually have an ability physically to pick up a lot from touch. Shaking our hand, hugging someone. But how attuned are we? How aware are we? And as I've dug into this and this theme and this passage, and a, and a book I'm just going to recommend to you, it's... I don't recommend it as a theological book because I don't agree with all the theology in the book. But he's written by a, psych a psychologist. His name's Steve Bidoff. You may have come across him. If you've got boys in your household, you may have read Raising Boys. If you haven't, I highly recommend reading that book. If you have boys, I have three of them. And um, it saved our life, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, Steve's been around for a long time. He's probably in his late 60s or not 70s. Um, now, and he wrote a book last year called Fully Human. I have promoted this book a lot. I wish I was on royalties for it. Actually, I'd be doing really well. But if you're interested in this concept I'm talking about, um, I highly recommend reading the book. Um, just to kind of um, expand your thinking about what it means to be fully human. You know, if we want the best example of being fully human, look at Jesus. But it struck me that I, I spent as a pastor much more of my time looking at the the fully God side of Jesus, and less about the fully human side of Jesus. And there have been through church history this pendulum swing of, of groups that have said, no, 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 Jesus was fully God. That's, that's, that he couldn't be fully human. And, and then there were people that fought to, to make sure we keep this balance. And then there were other groups that said, no, 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 we've got to remember Jesus was a, just a, a normal human being, and then God came on him. Uh, and he wasn't fully God. And then there'd be this group that say, no, 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 we've got to hold on to. Fully human, fully God. How does that work out? We have no idea. But that's the truth. Does that make sense? That's where I sit and I think probably where you guys do too. But we have to watch that we can shift from one side to the other. And I realize I'm standing over here. And there's a whole lot I need to learn about the fully humanness of Jesus. And what does it mean to live like him in our workplace, in our home place, we can all put it on in church place. And it, I, I've had so many people who've said to me, oh, I've, I've got this new guy at work and he's, he's a Christian, but he's a nightmare. <laughs> I have heard that so many times. It, it, it crushes me. And then I, I hear other people saying, oh, this new, new, 
new guy started at work, generally, he should be a Christian. You know, he's, he's, he's more Christian than most Christians I know. I've heard that a lot too. But I think that's why the fully humanness of let, let God so be in us and work through us that we are the best versions of what it means to be a human being that the world has ever seen. Jesus did it phenomenally. And I think part of it is, well, that's why I recommend reading Steve's book. It, it kind of opens your mind to what does it look like to be fully human. Just give it a bit of insight. He, just, he, he writes prof- um, profoundly, but pictorially and simply. So it's easy for people like me to get a hold of it. But all his examples are clinical. So they're, they're things he has worked through with people, with PTSD, for example, and how he helps them. I'll give you this one example. This guy comes in. I'm going to call him Mike. I can't remember what the name was in the book. And he, he sits down at the, at the desk sort of to talk to Steve, who's, who's a psychologist. And, and Steve says he looks at him. Everything about him is tense. And this guy has been a veteran from um, Iraq, and he's had, um, he gets night terrors. He gets panic attacks in shopping centres. It makes him angry, and, and so he's become violent at home, so his kids stay away from him. His wife is really struggling in their relationship with him, and life is a nightmare because he's been serving his country. And he comes in to see Steve, and this, he pours out this kind of venom of his anger at himself, at how he puts it out to other people. And, and Steve says all of his training as a psychologist is, you know, cognitive... Oh, is it cognitive behaviour therapy? How do you help the mind change the body? He said, that's all that psych training is that way around. And, and after listening to him for a little while, he says to him, Mike, um, I'm going to say something to you that's going to sound really simple, but I want you to listen to me. It's really important. And he said, Mike, what's your body saying to you right now? And he said, Mike looks down at his clenched, clenched fists. He, he feels the tension in his the set of his jaw. He realised he's sitting right on the edge of his seat. And he said he just stops and he, and he lets the chair hold him and he relaxes. And Steve says the rest of the conversation was so different to the first part. And he said, I, I didn't get his mind to change his body. His body changed his mind. It's powerful, isn't it? And this connection of what does it mean that we're human beings so we have a body you know, we have a mind, but in our, in our culture, we tend to center on the mind place. And we do that in church. That's why we do this. We spend much more time preaching and words and talking onto the mind. But how much of it is touch? And for me, when I, I'm a kinesthetic learner, I hated school. Just hated school. Because I, I don't learn sitting at a desk. Most of the sermons and ideas I come, come from me when I'm driving. Because I love to drive. It's when I relax. And that's my creativity comes from, you know... I'm up to Cairns soon. I've got to fly. I hate it. I'd much rather drive because that's the you know, creativeness. And I learn from doing and touch and I'm tactile. And, and we have the spread in this building. But the church doesn't cater for the people like me very well. So if you're like that, don't, please don't, um, don't get angry at the church. It's really hard to do the other thing, you know. But let's learn from Jesus. He knew what happened in touch. This um, time's rushing at all, has rushed away. Let's, um, let's finish the, the um, passage. When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear, threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what just happened. Just hold it there for a second. For a woman bleeding, she would have been seen then as sinful and unclean. 
for her to touch a rabbi would make him unclean, which meant that he couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't, he couldn't go to places to do his ministerial duties. So what she did was a real no-no in that culture. And she knew that. So when he called her out, she's feeling huge shame, guilt. Shouldn't have touched him. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I just so wanted to be healed. And I didn't think he'd listen to me because I'm a woman. And, 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 and he, he, he wouldn't have put his hand on me because it would have made him unclean. And she's probably running all that thing through her. And, and Jesus says to her, daughter, because you dare to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. You know, she was healed by the touch, but Jesus made her whole. Freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. And I love the fact that Jesus is into the body, soul, and spirit. He works in all of us, through all of us. It's really powerful of, of how Jesus works across the, the board. You know, and the fantastic thing about Jesus is that, that when an unclean person touches clean Jesus, the unclean doesn't make Jesus unclean, but Jesus makes the unclean clean. How powerful is that? If you want the biggest interruption in history is the crucifixion, where Jesus interrupted death and said, no more. Now it's just a sting. And death actually is about the gateway to life, life in abundance, life in, in bigger ways than we can ever imagine. And I love the fact that Jesus interrupted even death to bring life. Because that's who he is. I heard this wonderful, um, being a, a, I'm not particularly a royalist, but I'm, um, I was born in England and, and just watching the, watching the funeral, which is a bit of a, yeah, it was emotional because it's my homeland, you know, we live near London and, and it's familiar for me. There's this, um, I, I read this the other day about the Queen that she was at, I think it was Sandringham, and the, the, the dean who was preaching had preached on the second coming of Jesus. And as she went to the door, she thanked him for the message. And she said, I, I love hearing about the second coming of Jesus probably more than anything else. And he, he said, if you don't mind me asking, Your Majesty, why is that so special to you? And she said this. She said, for I long for the day when I can kneel at Jesus' feet and put my crown before his feet. How powerful is that? If you watch the funeral, it's just all about faith. All about her Jesus. All about the Christ she served. And um, incredible legacy and a reminder. My wife said to me, she said, you know, if you looked at the funeral, the procession was a mile and a quarter long. I think a mile and a half long. I mean, a lot of taxpayers' money, I know. But it was a big affair. A big deal. And then you contrast that with Jesus' funeral, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what would Jesus cry? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. One last interruption as I close. I pray that you'll have interruptions this week. It's a scary thing to pray, by the way, if you want to join with that. But may there be interruptions that bring the glory of God. May there be interruptions that bring life. And if you know the end of the story, Jesus does get to, there's another interruption that happens, but time's run away with me.
But Jesus gets to the house and he interrupts death and he raises the daughter who's died to life. And I just pray that, that there'll be interruptions that come your way where you can bring life into conversations and you can bring hope and encouragement just like I did at the Servo. There'll be other people, maybe in your workplace, maybe at home, that have just had a really trash day and you can see it written all over their demeanour. Well, why not interrupt their day? Why not buy them a coffee? Why not just say, hey, going, how's your weekend? Just wondered how you were. You bring the interruption and bring some words of life. You might not see that person fall at your feet, like at the servo. <laughs> In my dream. <laughs> but you can really change someone's day, and you don't know that that day may change their life down the track. There's some kids down there that have no idea that their faces are on profiles today and that I'm speaking about them today. Why not bring an interruption to poverty today? $48 a month of what it will cost you in money and it will cost you a bit of time to write some letters to bring encouragement. I've got a few older children, which is actually rare for Thailand. So um, it's kind of, there's some kids there, you might think, well, I'm not sure I could sponsor for a long time, but well, you might not pick an older child. There's an option there, of, of quite a spread of children's ages. What will sponsorship cost you? Three coffees a week. That's the equivalent. If you're a coffeeholic, or whatever that word is, um, and you buy, do you realize if you buy one coffee out per day, so seven coffees a week, and you decided not to do that anymore, but to put that money into sponsorship, that will sponsor three children and would change three children's lives. So in a country that's very wealthy, maybe have a think about um, how you could help some kids today. Um, let me pray. Father, we can't really understand your plan. We hate the fact that sin came into the world in the first place. We hate the fact the way it trips us up, catches us off guard. But we're so grateful that you sent your son. That he would lay aside the majesty of heaven to come and be among us, to come and walk among us, to touch unclean people, to immediately drop everything, to go to the aid of someone else and show compassion and love and empathy. Father, as Christians, we want to be like your son. But we're conscious that, that we're, we're at root still selfish. We're, we're afraid of our money running out. We're afraid of what people think of us. We're afraid we might not get to the end of our to-do list. We're afraid that it's going to interrupt our schedule. So we come to you saying, please help us. And so grateful, Father, that it helps at hand. Thank you that you not only sent your son to die on the cross for us, but your, your precious Holy Spirit has been poured out to not just be with us, but be in us. And I want to pray for all of us that somehow this week would be more aware of his presence than we are usually. Father, would you help us? Would you give us a, 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 some extra help this week that even if we're shaking someone's hand, that we would feel something different where someone needs help. Father, for all of us, would you help us read the room better when we walk into our office or we get in from 
get into home from work that we'd, we'd, we'd kind of pick up what's been going on through the day somehow so that we can bring life and hope and help into what might have been a difficult day for our spouses. And for the kids, Father, that are at the table at the back there, Father, I pray that, that you would line a sponsor with them where there can be a real two-way relationship begin today of encouragement, of hope to see your name glorified, to see your kingdom come in our lives and in the lives of these children in Thailand. And I finally want to pray for those cyclists who are pedaling away today. I can't think what that must be like. But thank you for what they're doing and the reason they're doing it. I pray that the child stories they hear every day would get under their skin and they'd never forget. That they'd be advocates, not just for compassion and children, but for your kingdom. And Father, I want to pray for this church family with the amazing building just out there to my right. Father, I pray, I pray that many, many kids would come to know you through what happens there. Not only would their lives change, but may they change many lives. Father, may they encounter you, may they meet, meet you, not just in what they hear, but the way that the leaders love them. May they always feel welcomed in this space too. May this be an intergenerational church, a church of community. And as they begin this new journey of utilising this building, Father, may the building never get in the way, but may the building be an asset to the people, your real church. And I want to pray for Nathan, Father, as having been away and as he gets back, and thank you for the life and everything that that brings, Father. I just want to pray for him with, um, Lord, I, I, don't, I haven't really talked to him over this time. I don't know what has gone on in the last few weeks, but I, I just have a hunch that he has changed. Having had time out, time, time with his family, time on his own, and I want to pray that you would help him be the new, the new him. Father, I pray for this church family that you would help them receive back their pastor who's had some changes happen while he's been away and to embrace those changes and let him change. And Father, would you help him to know that also the things where there's been change here while he's been away, that he would be able to embrace that change too. So Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth and here through Hills Church as in heaven. And I pray this all for the glory of Jesus in his name. Amen.